But no, so we did, we're basically doing a job where uh, we were moving into an overwatch position with snipers, which for anyone who's not in the army, an overwatch position basically means a fire support position where you can support the other platoon that's going in to do a job. We had isolated uh, two compounds that they were doing a, um, a direct action task in. So they're kicking doors in. And, um, but if, if needed, we could basically move down the mountain that we we're on to support them. Act as a quick reaction force. Yeah, as a, yeah, effectively a QRF. As we're moving up into that position, the other platoon had already dismounted. They were walking on the target. And the snipers were in their position and we were moving in behind them to flank around them. I, said, I think I was a fifth car in our lineup. And um, my car hit an IED. G'day everyone and thank you for tuning in to today's episode of The Blowcast. I just wanted to start by saying how much I appreciate you and how much I appreciate the support that I've been getting for the podcast so far. I've received so many positive comments. I've received a lot of constructive criticism, which I've actually applied to different episodes. And I'm so excited today to introduce you to our first guest, which is an absolute incredible bloke. Our guest today is none other than Damien Tomlinson. Now, you may not have heard of Damo. However, you may have seen him more recently than you expect. He actually starred on the most recent series of Survivor, which was aired on Channel 10. He's an ex-Special Forces soldier from the 2nd Commando Regiment, and in 2009, he was involved in an IED attack in Afghanistan, which resulted in him becoming a double amputee. However, that really doesn't stop him because the cheeky bastard has no legs and plays golf a shitload better than I do. He starred in the blockbuster movie Hacksaw Ridge. He is a best-selling author amongst so many other incredible achievements. We cover so much content in this episode that we actually had to split it into two episodes, and this is part one. I really do hope you enjoy this, so get amongst it, share it with your friends, follow our social media pages, give us a review on iTunes, and let's get stuck in. Okay, so I want to welcome Damien to the podcast, mate. It is absolutely, I'm just so excited to have you on here. You're a great mate of mine and you're just, you're always there for me and you always, you know, lend it a hand when I need a bit of help and today's one of those moments when I get you on the podcast, mate. And so how are you, mate? How's things going? I'm good, brother. How are you? Always good, mate. You know me, always good. Not playing <laughs> golf. I haven't played golf much lately, which, uh, so the old golf game's going to shit, but apart from that. No. Mine, mine's on point. I'm having a great time at the I know, I know. I just, you, yeah, I, you wouldn't have, like we are just talking about pre-getting on here, you wouldn't have heard the intro there, but I just, in the intro, I just said you, you play golf better than I do. And, and uh, you got did no you talk about that part? <laughs> did I talk about what the part? Did that part come up? The, no, it didn't actually. No, I didn't mention the part that you missed. <laughs> That lost us the lost us the championship against the Brits, but yeah, yeah, we can live, move live on. Live on TV, live on TV, <laughs> lost it from just over a foot. <laughs> but that's all right because <laughs> I lost every match play. <laughs> I, I, have that, a, I have a putting, round, so. I have a putting mat in my living room because of that. But <laughs> literally, that putt has affected me. I've got a putting mat and a putter always set up in my living room now. Oh shit. Well, I think I, I think I was out by the ninth, or by about the tenth or eleventh hole, anyway. So <laughs> uh, that day, so yeah. Um, how is life at the moment? Life's changed for you, obviously, pretty significantly recently with the the birth of your daughter. So how's everything going now? Good, mate. It's good. Um, I think it's kind of it's highlighted how 
how small of a cog in this machine I am. Um, I kind of, my missus takes up most of the slack. She does a pretty hardcore job. So I'm, I'm like the make food clean wherever I can and just slot in. Yeah. Kind of just sort of put myself on the blow. Go, okay, where, where can I go now? Where does it not get in your road? Where can, where can I go that I'm not going to get yelled at? <laughs> yeah, that's it. But she's, no, she's so nice. She'd never yell, but also never ask me to do anything. Yeah. You know, yeah like yeah. just pick up the slack and do it. And you're just like, well, I, I don't want to get in your road. That's like the, the most important thing is that I'm not in the road because inevitably I'll do that. I'll go, oh, I'll just help here right at the spot that's in the road. And she's too nice to say if, I'm, if I am in the road. So I'm like, yeah. you just point me in the right direction and I'll try and make, make hay. <laughs> in the end mate they always say it happy wife happy life so yeah no she's doing great keep her happy then yeah, that's 90% of your troubles oh, yeah that's the 80-20 rule right there so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so pre-army where tell me about your life pre-army so where'd you grow up um, I know you were a really good cricketer and a really good footballer um, so you know what was life growing up you grew up in Sydney is that right no in the central coast it's just north of Sydney so uh, halfway between Sydney and Newcastle, there's a little place called the Central Coast, and that's where it gets the name Central from. It's not central to anything, uh, <laughs> except halfway in between those two. A little place called Terrigal. Uh, it's pretty much it's a country town that's next to the ocean, yeah. sort of. But it's got enough of a drip feed from Sydney to have a bit of personality to it and stuff. Tonight, a really nice spot. Yeah, right. Um, I found it out there. I found it difficult to get get work. You know, I mean, I lived down in the country for six months with a cousin of mine. Yep. And within two days of being there, uh, I was in their, the, the, the B-grade cricket team. We, I played first grade on the coast since I was 16, but they informed me that competition was tough down there so I could start in B-grade. <laughs> um, first week, I scored the first 100 that they'd had in like 30-something years. Because <laughs> you get this little cup that you can hand to anyone at the pub and no matter what day of the week, they've got to fill it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like I got a job pretty much the, like the week of moving there and I'd been looking for one on the coast and trying to do something like in, when I was at school, I was always going to go to university Yeah, and in year 11 and 12, being cool and fitting in took precedence over using my brain for anything essentially. Um, yeah, yeah. Made some debatable choices, but on the same hand, I mean, if I could go back and tell my 16 year old self to do anything the idiot wouldn't listen so <laughs> it would be there's no, there's no point yeah there'd be no point i, I, I always think about that i get asked i get asked about that a lot because obviously you know had a lot of um obviously nowhere nowhere near as much adversity as you've been through but had a bit of shit that i've had to go through with the army and uh body and um, broken broken body and all that kind of stuff and and broken mind and and a lot of people always tell me though, what would you do if you had, if you could go back and, you know, tell your younger self uh, a message, what would it be? And I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back. Like I wouldn't change it. Like it's, yeah, yeah. I look at my life now and like I'm married to the most beautiful woman on the planet. I'm fucking, I'm happy as hell. I live in one of the, a gorgeous spot in the Adelaide Hills in the middle of fucking 10 of the best wineries in the, in the world. And you know, I've, I just live a good life. Like, so why, yeah why do I need to change that? You know, just so I didn't go through all, all the adversity. So like, I, you know, I would, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be here on this doing this if I didn't. Yeah, I think, I think you need that adversity. You really need that adversity to shape who you are. And I think I'd rather 
from my perspective, you know, like the same as, same as what you say, I wouldn't be who I am without it. But also you kind of know, you've pushed yourself to such an extreme, like, which I think is the same for both of us, that you then know what some really terrible is like. So when something horrid happens, you've kind of been through the motions before. Yeah, you've got a bit of context. Yeah, so you're like, okay, cool. This is going to do that. I'm going to feel like this for a while and then I'll move forward. You know, when I last solved this problem like that, so I'll give it another crack. Yeah. But yeah. And there's some, there's, some, there's some benefits. My pain tolerance is pretty high these days and I'm pretty sure I'm rolling around with a, um, uh, with a broken skateboard at the moment, but I just don't even think about it. Like it's just, I just keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I broke it. I, I, I either broke or I did some damage to it. Like uh, I think a few months ago playing basketball and came out of the chair pretty hard. And oh. actually, I don't know if I've even mentioned that yet, but I, I did play wheelchair basketball and came out of the chair pretty hard and landed on my wrist and, and so I'm, I'm pretty sure I've done something to it because it, it swells up every day and it's fucking shit. Can't grab things with it, but I just keep going and just, yeah. But I don't I feel it. i to break a bone every year just to keep it real. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah you're, you're, so that I know. So yeah, that I know what it's like. I'm like. I don't think I'll ever be able to, <laughs> be able to uh, get as many broken bones as you've had. So. <laughs> I broke some up. I mean, in the last couple of years, I've done like my index finger. And then when that was starting to heal, like literally four weeks through the healing process, I had a prosthetic malfunction and shattered the second bone in my thumb, which is the third time I've broken that same thumb and none of them are from the explosion. Yeah, yep. Uh, oh, God. The nose, my back was one. Yeah. The wrist had to get replated twice. I've broken my wrist. I've broken my knuckle. Probably broken a few bones in your legs as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there I've gone. But I don't, like before it, I think I broke my big toe and one of the ankles. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. yeah, besides that, nothing too major. But yeah, I mean, that was, that was another thing when I was young. Like I broke, I did break a lot of bones. It was fun living in like on the central coast. You got to do some fun sort of stuff, you know, was, there was a lot of surfing, there was stuff like that. There was, we used to jump freestyle bikes with dudes. That was fun. Um, yeah. And everyone was watching Crusty Demons of Dirt running around. Up <laughs> um, we got right into that. And, you know, there was some, some fun, fun sort of stuff, but it kind of... I think it's a bit of a vortex, you know, and it's the same, I think, with any place you live, you know, but you only really notice about the place that you grew up. The longer you're in one of those places, you start sort of wondering if there's ever a way out. Yeah, 100%. Is there anything different? And the grass is always green and no matter where you are, if you really start looking at life like that, as they're going, there's no way out. I don't know what to do. And it was more like, even if I wanted to, I can't go out and do anything. I don't have a job, so I can't move to Sydney, which at that stage was a big step. Yeah. yeah. Like an hour and a half away. And now I drive that far to play golf. Yeah. But like it's, it's one of those things that I was like, it's so far away. Plus I don't think my car was that reliable, but um, I was, you know, you sort of have that, that thought. And I think that's where, cause I, I, when I joined, I joined because I'd had a convo with my dad's computer sitting. I went into mum's computer and next to it was a picture of my granddad wearing his medals. Yeah. And you were about 20, 24 when you joined, is that right? Yeah, yeah, 24. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. I'd taken me, I'd been training for probably 12 months to go because it was a, the DRS cycle. But yeah. I mean, I sort of looked at that picture of him. He'd traveled the world, even though he was fighting for a majority of the time that he was there. Um, he, he traveled the world, he'd done a heap of stuff. He'd kind of been bigger than the picture. Like, I love looking at pictures like that, especially old ones and going, that guy's earning stripes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I looked at it and really liked just the idea and he had something to be proud of. The picture said so much. Like now, the more I think about that picture, it said, 
you know, I was really so proud when I looked at it as well. I love watching war documentaries. Yeah, definitely. I love doing it, you know, and uh, like the History Channel is a favorite. And I yeah, like, saw yeah. it, I saw so much of that. And it was so real. And I thought, okay, I'll have a look at the Army website. And then there was a thing for the direct recruiting scheme. So I said, not only are they, can I get into the Army, there's a way to pathway you to an elite section in the Army. Yeah. And so when we talk about the, for people who don't understand, we talk about the direct recruiting scheme. We're talking about the special forces direct recruiting scheme. So this is a scheme that the military put into place so that they can allow, uh, when we were, I guess we were starting to ramp up a bit. Then we were coming out of the time of being a, a non-war like army and going into moving into more conflict kind of, um, in Iraq, well. yeah. Iraq had popped up. So they needed to up the numbers. And so they, they decided to, um, in, I guess put in this this way that people from the civilians who had no background in the military could apply for special forces and be put on like a an accelerated program, being the, the direct recruiting scheme, and, and that would get them into the. I mean, the and the by well, the accelerated program as well. It was not just. Uh, I think it, it the reason the thing that made it that much quicker was the fact it sort of took out the spending twelve months at a conventional battalion. Mm. And then possibly having your leadership put in a submission for you to go into the SF world, which had, I think had two great advantages. When you're a civilian, you can spend that last three months or whatever, which I did really heavily training physically and mentally to get there. Whereas when you're at a battalion, you've got, you you know, you've got work, you've got stuff that you've got to do just to do your job. Gotta go field and all that kind of shit. Yeah, there's field, there's going away, there's just keeping all everything up to standard that needs to be there. You gotta yeah. all the boxes. Whereas when you're a civilian and I was working like I was working a five day week, but you still find you can still go to the gym and then you've got the whole weekend. You've got to, you can do basically everything you really need to around it. Yeah. Um but yeah, it was and then but then when you get in, you're doing the same same selection and everything. They don't vary any standards, which I think is no is a great a great thing. But I mean, that's that's another one. I agree with. Did you see that chick in the US? She passed special forces selection and training. Didn't see it, but I haven't read the article. But I have heard of it. Yeah. Oh, that's and that's pretty, legit. That is legit. that is a hundred percent legit. But I like I completely agree with women being able to to do that as long as they don't compromise standards and they haven't. And it kicks kicked his ass, which to me is just. That's a standing clap moment. Yeah. For anyone to do it, it's like looking back, it's it's ludicrous. For anyone to do it, like it and like someone, like a woman, especially because there's probably someone there, some jerk with a chip off his shoulder. Yeah. And then this chick's just gone hard enough to jam it up there, dude. I love that. <laughs> but but the point you make there is that, I guess when we talk about your situation, is that you talk about anyone being able to do it. Now you've come from a like we were saying there, you come from civilian background, you you have no concept apart from speaking to people who were in the military at the time about what actually happens in the military. For you to actually, A, get selected first into the DRS scheme or the DRS system and then to then go on and then pass selection is is incredible, man. Like, because I don't know, if, I'm sure people may out there may understand, but some people may not, but the pass rate for just for regular like everyday or full-time soldiers to get through selection is so low. Like it is incredibly low. So I'm thinking that, you know, civilians, their pass rate is probably even lower because yeah. they're, they're not exposed to a lot of the, 
the shit you have to go through and it's not necessarily the physical side of things being able to you know carry things do many like the i mean we can talk about selection in a second about the stuff you had to do but it's more the the mental side of things being it's all the mental side mentally punished i guess along selection or mentally pushed is probably a better word yeah yeah it's you're just not exposed to that and whereas well, at least well, at least in the army if you if you are full-time at least you've you, at least you had exposure to that already you know you've been I, through yeah career. so yeah. i i think that's there's sort of the two edges to that like train of thought and i mean i i, I agree with what you said but i fa- i find that say because i wasn't in the army and i hadn't been exposed to it in my mind i was kind of like so this is just what it's like yeah you know, there's because we've been through the recruit process and all of that sort of stuff. Like we ticked all the boxes you have to to become a qualified soldier. Yep. So everyone was sort of past that rate, that pass rate. Everyone was already, you know, already qualified. But then when it came to like the selection side of it, you just, you don't, because you don't know what it's like. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you wouldn't even know if the grass is greener on the other side because <laughs> you can't see it. So, but you also don't have any bad habits as well. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's, well, that's one of the good things. Yeah. I guess as well. And that sort of, I think a lot, I really like a couple of theories that have been used through, like, I, I don't know who coined it. One of the, one of the life coach guys in the States did. It's like the act as if theory, you know, so you meant to, you basically have the mentality of someone who's doing or that basically taking part in the role that you were in. So, but to do that, you've got kind of got no left and right. So mm-hmm. I do that whenever I'm doing anything so I can step up to a level that you don't know that you're capable of just because you're assuming that you should be there. Yeah. You know, so then it was, and I think it was, a, there was a lot of that. So no matter how much it hurt, you still got your mind in the right spot. Yeah. You know what I mean, you're like that. This is just what it's like when it happens. Yeah. So how was selection then going through? Like what, it, how was your experiences on, on the commando selection? It's long. I mean, it's really, you always think that like one thing that they do really, really well, they do probably the best. I've seen it done anywhere. And I've seen some other places use a similar sort of, a uh, psychological approach and it's basically building pressure. Um, so it's using you as your own worst enemy, essentially. Yeah. Uh, just consistently building pressure. So, I mean, besides that, there's a lot of like physical and, and mental, like mainly, I guess, physically exhausting things and then keeping you tired. I mean, you're really tired. It just takes down your, the little walls that you've got. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You do a huge march or something like that. Then you have something else on that, you know, you, it's kind of laborious. Then you've got to think, you know, all of a sudden you're stuck in a room that I, it's only since like talking to people after it, that they're like, you know, why we did that? How did no one get it right? And we all still pass the course. Yeah. Like, it's not about, it's not about getting passes. it right. Like the thing is set up that, so it's impossible. Yeah. The thing is your attitude towards it. You know, you don't see that you're not going to do it and then just drop your bundle. You get as much done as you can. Yeah. And that's through a hundred percent. And then when you know that you failed, you know that you've bombed it. Do you hang your head? You know, and did, so you kept going, you stuck to it. You didn't start pointing fingers at people and you got on and did the next thing. Then that's, and that, but still on the same hand, it still builds that pressure because then you think, well, I didn't, I didn't finish that. And then you think again, Oh, no one did. But then you look and go, but that guy lasted longer than me. Yeah. That guy didn't. Where do I sit on the scale of things? What do I have to do right? And then you don't realize that whole time that you're doing that, you're supposed to be thinking about something else. Like, yeah, what am I doing? Oh, God, okay, I should be doing this. Uh, it was good. Like, I think you learn a lot about yourself when you push to that. 
that level. And I think it's, it's fun because there aren't many places. And that's, I love that about the military. I still do. Like, so a lot of the experiences, just amazing experiences, but also they're things that you don't get anywhere else. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you can, it's not like a, you can fast rope or do a, do any of these different things that, or anything that really pushes your boundaries of what you can do. Mm. Like I've, I've seen some like really inspiring things. One of them we were doing a roping course and there was a guy who, he was great with everything. Fit dude, terrified of heights. Yeah, right. Proper terrified of them. Strapped himself in, grabbed on with his figure eight. He's eight stories up. He's shaking, like almost paralyzed with fear, but forcing himself to the edge. Yeah, yeah. To the point where he went down and just committed. You could tell he was terrified. The dude's nearly crying. He was shaking that badly. Yeah. I'm like, bro. But he's committed to the cause. And you're all good, man. And he's just like, you know, I'm just terrified of height. And he just took it. And by the end of the day, the, yeah, the end of probably the second or third day, he could do it without shaping. Yeah, 100%. You just got you know, a like, repetitive exposure. Yeah, and it was, it was just, but like watching that, because you can see everyone's got fears of stuff. Mm. Everyone has it, whether it's spiders, whether it's cockroaches, you know, I mean, generally they're really small and can't hurt you, but like his was just heights. And like, I can't imagine, because I don't really have like heights and stuff like that. Heights, going really fast or anything like that doesn't bother me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's... Um, I'm the same, but spiders, man, they fucking freak me out. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm cool with most things. Like, it's the on the same hand. Because we were, play, were playing golf the other day. We saw a, a brown snake. Oh, yeah, fuck that. And this thing, yeah, but where can it bite me? That's yeah. the thing. I got, I got no legs, so what are you going to do, brown snake? <laughs> I had a golf club. I'm armed with a golf club just charging oh, at this brown snake. But, like, part of it was just bravado. Like, oh, here we go. He's Captain Hero. And then this thing turned around and looked at me. Oh. When it turned around and looked at me, I literally, like, I paused. I was like <laughs> walking off to it like as friggin' you know, like just created fire or something. Like, Here we go. And then it turned and looked, it's just like, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> it got real for us. It got real for us. Yeah. And I have seen you lose your footing so many fucking times. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. just just for just for the uneven bit of ground, man. If you had to just step on that wrong thing and then just go on tits up, just straight on the ground. Yeah, they're getting good now. I've got a pretty good system with them. So that's good, man. Based around it, like I don't think that's that's one of the things that got me out was like with, with, with golf and sports like that, I think because you've got to do so many different things that you don't notice to be able to play a comfortable round of golf, yeah. it really made little things I did a lot better. Mm. You know what I mean? Because you start noticing what does what with prosthetics, what changes with them, yeah. what impacts them, how you can help yourself. All these different things that were all it's all seemingly solved by having a golf club in my hand. It's incredible. We 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 I'll get to sport, I guess, post um, army life because we we met playing golf and yeah, we can Bushka. talk about we can yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to what Wushka means as well, which is I my still whole, tell that story, horrible, man. horrible golf. <laughs> 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 oh shit. Um, all right. So you, you graduate reinforcement cycle. You, you know, you, you break qualified then and you're into the regiment. What's, um, what's life in the regiment like? Like, is the tempo pretty high at that point? Did you go team well with the regiment or? Ah, uh, yes, I did. Yes. But yep. I think one of the second rotation and the life of the unit was, uh, really, really intimidating to yeah. be honest. Um, cause when you first get there, you don't, one, you don't know, you haven't had exposure to guys from the unit. So you still don't know what they're like. Yep. And what you have to do and what makes that world work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, is it the toughest guy? Is it, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, they're just people being professional soldiers. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and how was it? How was it being someone who didn't come from a from a military background? Was it because I know if you if you had have done that in the regular military, the regular army, I would say that there would have been a bit of not backlash, but a bit of stigma against you that hey, you you haven't done what we've done, kind of thing. Whereas yeah. it's always that, harder than like tour, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it like that in the SF, or is it like no, everyone has to pass the same course? It doesn't fucking matter. Once you pass that, you're good. Well, uh, I, I we were I was really fortunate. Um, I was DRS number five. Yep. So so they'd already had a, a, some exposure yeah, to people before. Yeah. yeah. So they'd had DRS one. Like it produced some phenomenal soldiers. Mm. my unit like there was some like all of the drs schemes have produced some serious serious seriously large contributors to to our unit and yep. the way it's progressed but i know they got like deck is what they got called and it's an acronym for direct entry um person <laughs> like that was, that was sort of it so they and they they copped a lot of the monstering you know they'd sort of taken the rap for everyone and then by the time we got there, they'd sort of proven that guys could still be good hands. Yep, you yep. need to go and paint rocks or get flogged at a unit or have someone yell at you or whatever to show that you could do the job. Yeah. You know, so we, we sort of had a leg up with that. And they were also with us because there were so many. Like we went, when we went through selection, there were two schemes of DRS people on the one selection. Yeah, right. So I think we went through six months apart. Or yeah, close to oh, maybe less than that. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. Mm. And um, because there was like we started off with a decent amount. It's kind of hard if there was only one. You know, it'd be hard being your Pat Malone at a yeah. at a new unit being that guy. Yeah. Because there were so many of us, I think it's hard to just single out people. Plus, they selected, they tended to select people for it that were not only mentally capable but physically capable. Yep. So everyone sort of had the physical side and was smart enough to learn. You know, you have to be able to retain and retrain and learn things. So, like, when people were, were there, they, they already sort of had a couple of the tools in the kit that they were going to need. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. For us, but still, I mean, I look back at a lot of things I could have done better when I got to the unit, you know. I'm, like, just not being, have been as intimidated, you know. It's not a, it's not a tough guy show. It's a... You know, you still, you got to be professional. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and I think just being that little fear of what do I have to act like, you know, sometimes pushes you in a direction where you're a bit of a pork chop or something like that. You know, I deployed to, to East Timor. I had a really good team there and really good guys to to look up to and sort of follow in, in what I was doing. You know, you really lift your game when people are at a, at a great stand around you. And I had, I had a great team. And when I came back, they moved me from the company that I was in across into Bravo Company, which became home. When I actually got put into the company, I walked in and I had a I had a black eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of walked through the door and this dude's going, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, Bravo Tomlinson, I fucking just joined the company. What? He goes, well, You might want to come and see me. I said, What the fuck's that? And he's gone, Because I'm the OC of this company. <laughs> He's just giving us that. And he was really, really, really good, that guy. Like, he's known to be a lot more ruthless than that. Yeah. I, I didn't even look. And he was just wearing PT gear as well. So it's not like he was had rank on him or whatever. Half of you guys but, don't wear rank at the best amount of times. Yeah, but I'm like, who's this? Who's this character just giving me shit? I'm just coming over to freaking just, you know, and you're anxious about walking in. You're like, okay, yeah. it's a new company. There are a whole bunch of new people. Or, you know, you want to. 
first impression was that he was really, really good, but in a great company of people, like, you know, you just walk in and something, something works. Something clicks. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was great. We had great guys. Um, but then, you know, you get, I think you start to form those real, real bonds that I think you get in, like you have them in recruit training, but it was also like a, I think with that company, one of the great things was the heart. I found the hardest people to deal with period in life are people who haven't, have something to prove, you know what I mean? I did for the whole time getting to the unit, you know, you've got your barrier, but you still kind of feel like you got something to prove everyone from uh, like a, a huge amount of people from Bravo company. had just come off a rotation to Afghanistan. Yep. And so they'd tried and tested everything and they've been involved in some pretty heavy things over there, you know, especially by a unit standard. I think that was, it was rotation five that they went over there, but there was a, a gap between rotation three and four. Yep. And when they'd come back, they'd so everyone was kind of cool. Yeah. There wasn't the pecking order was different. You know, I think the, the pecking order from what I, I understand in a normal units, like get some time up type thing. Yeah. It pretty get much is. time up. How long have you been? If I get some time up yeah. there, it was, man, how many contacts have you been? How many ticks? And they'd yeah. say ticks. That was a difference. And no, a dude from a normal unit would say it's a contact. Our boys just said tick, troops yeah. in contact, you know? Oh, we had a tick doing that. you kind of like, okay, cool. And then like, and that became the benchmark. Yeah. If you know what I mean? And any, anyone who was talking about that was always super cool to deal with because they were proven, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And that, that was cool. Like, and plus they're just great to learn what works of people who've been there. Yeah, exactly right. Just yeah. learning the, learning the TTPs from all, from people who have done what you want to do. Like yeah. it's, um, what that's, works, that's what didn't yeah, that, yeah. That, in life. It doesn't need to be in the military, just in life, surrounding yourself with those people that you can learn from and you can take things away from. Yeah. yeah. You, and you're always going to get, like we were talking before we get up, we got on here. You're always going to get dudes you don't like. You're always going to get dudes that are fucking shit leaders. And yeah. you know, that's, that's anywhere you go in life, you got, that's going to happen, you know, but you got to be able to take, the good things away that people do and the, and yeah. the bad things and separate. I mean, that's it. Everyone, everyone does something really well. 100%. Everyone's got something they can contribute. Even if, the, even if the person frustrates you or something like that, you know, I think the, the great lesson that I took out of that time going across in a Bravo company was cause the military there's, there's books written about everything. Yeah. Like the cool thing that I liked, cause I'm kind of, I don't have a, I, I don't really have a problem with authority, but, I don't mind finding an interesting way of doing things, if you know what I mean. Like, if there is an easier way, I'd rather do it the the better way than the, you know what I mean? Um, so, the cool thing was we had a group, a leadership group who'd say, oh, this says that, but when we actually tried it and tested it, we found in this circumstance, this works better. Like, there was a lot of stuff written, like a lot of great teachings about, like, some jungle warfare, but jungle warfare and warfare in an open desert, uh, two different things. Yeah, two different things. No, yeah. so there, and there was the, the jungle. You know, that, that jungle warfare probably stems back from Vietnam. You know, Vietnam, like yeah. Korea. So that's when, those, that's when those PAMs were written. You know, they were done working in Iraq, but they were still ultimately really finding finding direction with some of the stuff that we were doing in Afghanistan, really, really sharpening that saw. Yeah, so it yeah. Kind of good because it felt like you were almost blazing a trail, even though it's been done schillions of times before. You kind of feel like you've got the the ability to think freely about. Yeah problems not think what solution do i know for this problem yeah definitely one can sort of think freely about it so 2009 then you that was when you deployed to afghan 
what was the tempo like, I guess, when you got there? What was it, what was it like going into country for the first time? And um, I, that was your first combat ops kind of role, um, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. But um, Yeah, we'd done, like we'd done, we hadn't done anything combat-wise. I'd already had a bit of a brush. Um, the guy we played my first game of first grade cricket against him, his name's Josh Porter. He, um, he went down with a Blackhawk. Um, on the Canimbla that I was on off Fiji. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was when the job got very real. When I was out on the deck and you hear it, like rotor blades flying everywhere and you just, oh, wow. The big yeah. big bunch of us out on that, like a little smokers thing, but a little sort of party bit where everyone would get together, hang out and chew the fat, you know. Um, but yeah, and then that was the first thing. I was Because we were counting guys up and only six guys come up on our side of the boat. It was pretty hectic. But I'd only spoken to Josh once on that trip. Yep. You know, I couldn't place exactly where it was. So I was like, man, did I, did I, have I played sport or surf with you? Or what's, what's gone down? And he's like, yeah, man, I played cricket for Tukli. Like, yeah. Okay. And I kind of remembered, remembered him. But yeah, so we lost him on that. But I kind of, I think a lot of the stuff that, my unit preparing to go to Afghanistan, obviously, after we come back off that, was people were talking about the trips and what they'd done and the amount of time they'd spent over there and what they'd done. So you kind of needed one under your belt to take it to the next level. And that's yeah. one of the great things about that the unit is you always get pushed to take things to the next level, whether it's a course or no matter what it is, where everyone's wanting to add to each other at stuff. Yeah, and that competitive nature is just—it's—it's it's fun to be in. It's hard when you're getting your ass kicked, but yeah. kind of fun to be in because um, you know you can't run all the time. But so by the time I got over there, I remember getting over and like you just smell the place. You like you start breathing in. You're like, okay, good. it's like when you travel overseas, you know, especially say uh, Timor. You did Timor, right? No, I need to Afghan. Yeah. Okay. Well, I remember landing in Timor, and you smell a similar thing than you do if you land in like Hanoi, somewhere like that in Vietnam. Yeah, is stuff being burned. And there's a very familiar there in the Philippines. It all smells reasonably sort of similar in Southeast Asia. I've been to a fair few places. Have yeah. been to Bali, so yeah, oh, <laughs> pretty much the Gold Coast. The Gold Coast on an island up Australia. Yeah, exactly. Um, Everyone yeah, wears basketball shirts. Yeah, <laughs> with Bintang written on them. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I and I remember going there and just sucking those bits in. You know, you don't really know what to expect. You know, so, and it's really, a really overwhelming sort of thing. You start looking around going, okay, so here's this, here's that. Plus there's, I love that feeling of that's been places type thing. You know, like I've got a, I got an old 58 Strat and I love playing it just because I think of how long it's been on earth for. Yeah, you know, so yeah. When you look, when we looked at the cars, the cars had done, were rotation, rotation nine. So been like eight rotations where either those cars are goes close and you know what I mean? And they've, they've been yeah. to all those different like places through it. And you kind of look and there's so much stuff sorted. You're like, all right, cool. And plus you know that our unit's done pretty well in its time there. So you've got big shoes to fill. Yeah. hundred percent. No, there's a pretty big reputation that Australian troops have that, and you know, it's been well earned, you mm. know, by our granddads and stuff like that, that, and, and their granddads, you know, um, so you kind of got to step up to that level. You know, it was, it was kind of showtime. You yeah. know, you get there and go, okay, so here it is. You know, we're good. And part of that, part of that is the guys around you. You've got to make sure that you're there for everyone in every little thing like that. That competitive 
sort of thing that makes you better gets switched off to the point, not switched off. You still want to be better, but you want to be better as a group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're now, you know, you're in the, the biggest game of your entire life because you're playing for keeps. And is it a lot of it is about not letting down that person, I guess, next to you in the pit next to you like it's you, you just yeah you stress more about letting them down than than about letting yourself down at that point yeah well i think so i mean i more thought and this was cool because i one of the one of the guys who um i'm still good friends with i spoke to him today um he he was also really he was the gunner out of my car only really young kid when we went you know i mean i was what 28 28 yeah 28 when i went over there he was like 24 25 yeah 25 maybe you know, and he'd been on a trip before it, you know, he'd been in some massive contacts. He'd done all this different stuff, but we like, he's always a smart ass to me too, the little jerk. So we used to mouth off at each other when we were back home to the point where like at one stage we've just gone, man, someone move him away. Yeah. Like, literally it's going to get that real. Someone's going to fight. Yeah. I was, I was like, well, this, if this is the only way to solve it, which it never is, there's always methods that you can solve it with, but, but you know, you kind of like at that, I was, we used to grind each other that much, you know, and we, we do it. It was a two way street. But then when we got over there, we, do you know, the thing that we actually got hassled for? Being in love. Being what, sorry? Being in love. Being in love. <laughs> that was the thing. They're just like, look at you the two. It's like, honestly, you two have behaved the whole time. Like you're a boy and a girl in kindergarten who love each other. Now you've just hit high school and you realize you're allowed to. <laughs> you're allowed to hold hands for yeah them. so we got we got wild for that like and the whole team didn't know what was happening so we were always at each other's throats yeah yeah, yeah, we were yeah. always like backwards and forwards and stuff and then when we got over there and that kind of became the thing like anyone any one person if they know about something they'll happily come over and go man oh, I, I did this and it worked you know there's two there's a couple of ways of doing it yeah, I did that and it worked and all this did this, you know, so it becomes this real cool collaboration of people, you know, all giving each other every single little advantage possible. And it's what I think I, I love that whole mindset of things. You know, I'm all about like, I, I really like one getting that information off people. It's always good because it gives you an easy end to lift your game, but being able to do that for other people because the collaboration of good stuff like that then ultimately makes everyone better at what they do. Yeah, it raises the level, and then when you, like you say before, when you're in a game of, of keeps, then it's either you or them. Like mm-hmm. you, you want to kill them. You don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to lose any of your boys. So. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. You know, and then and you want everyone to have, the best chance that they can. You know what I mean? Like, because the best thing you can really do is sort of minimize risk because you're putting yourself in harm's way. Yeah, definitely. So, and your best way of doing that is by giving everyone every single nugget of knowledge, and there aren't many like professions, even pastimes in the world where every single nugget of knowledge you have, you're willing to give to the guy next to you just to, to improve his game on something that might not have an impact, but still you'd rather him have it than not have it there. 100%. Everyone's consistently, if you think of it like a toolkit, everyone's consistently giving tools to other people's kits. And, and that, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's one of the few places that I've seen that sort of, I think that sort of teamwork, really. yeah, yeah, teamwork, but gen- generosity, I think. Yeah, yeah. With with sort of knowledge, you know, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things in the world where if everyone knew those few little intricate things about a job, it wouldn't be as valuable. Mm. There'd be more people that could do it. Yeah, definitely. So, like, and I, I used to, re- I really, I really like that. And then we're over getting those cars ready before 
we basically did, we were doing a long, really long patrol. So we were out for a while. We'd done a bit, a bit of stuff. Back there, but uh, three or four days into it, we'd settled. You know, you get time to work out where the gym is, where everything is. You got the cars ready, ammo counts, uh, weapons sorted, range days, everything good. And then we had we got out a set of orders of what we were doing, and um, and that involved uh, moving up into uh, I had to a place called Helmand Province. Yeah, we got the we got the route the entire way out that we were going to take. How long we were going to be transiting for in different directions? What was going to be happening? And then that we we're going to be coming back. And during that process, we had some really really interesting times. Um, like <laughs> I remember a lot of the some of the funny bits are the main ones. Right when I because I don't really go back to that sort of thing. I actually I watched a doco on um God people and <laughs> people smuggling art. I think it was but it had Afghanistan on it. And I remember looking at it and it's one of the few times I've actually taken my brain back to, so what was it like walking across that doing this? Yeah. Type thing. I don't sort of think about it. All I could think was Afghanistan is the closest thing I can think of to how stuff's described in like a Bible or something like that. It's kind of like the land that time forgot. It's in the Middle East. Fuck it is, man. Like it's, you, you go out there and it's a different world. Like, you know, I, I definitely don't have the, I guess experience that you guys had over there. Um, a lot of the stuff I did was quite benign and kind of, you know, within, within Tarrant Cout, which is the main base that we operated in, yeah, but still a long time for go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. You guys uh, were in the line when they had let's progress to the next century. Were you like, it's, <laughs> but, it, but you, you just see it. And it's like, this just, fucking dirt everywhere the the huts they're living in is, is literally oh, made I'm, I'm still cleaning the dust out of things i've got like things i didn't take have found the dust yeah i was explaining to someone i had someone at work um asked me today like about what you know what's the difference between they just assumed that the whole country was was dirt and was was was, was desert almost and you know, yeah. i was trying to try and explain the the green zone to them and and yeah how that works and and Himalayas back on it and stuff like yeah exactly yeah, so I started putting up photos and just the Uruz again as well which is for people who aren't who aren't aware that's that's where Australia we we mostly operated in and it was going to do a little bit Helmand a little bit of Kandahar but mostly in those mostly were um, mostly operating in Uruzgan and and so yeah and they just said well, that's actually a beautiful spot and I said and you don't think about that when you're there you think this is a fucking yeah. shit hole. But yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of go back later and you're like, oh, actually, you know, it is quite nice. It's quite nice. Yeah. I think I mean, because they, like they, part of it, they live like shit, but it's quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think like it's kind of looking at places like that. I love it for just perspective about life, the world, like just for that really philosophical view of how things are like, and I think I've always found stuff like that fascinating. So for part of me is kind of going through going, it's game time. The other bits going, wow, this is how someone lives which I think is the beauty of traveling anywhere. You get to look at stuff and it's actually someone's life doing it. Yeah. You know, the, the art of building a compound or a house type thing with mud bricks that are a foot wide. And then when you have kids with someone else in the village or next to it, or I don't know how, then, oh, I know how people have kids, but, but you know, <laughs> you then yeah, I should, I should do. Oh well, yeah. We'll be asking questions. It's not the stork. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the baby looks Italian. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then they'll have like, they'll just build other rooms on the house that they've got for their relatives to live in, you know? And like, I think just looking at it was, 
I can still remember just the awe and the wonder of looking at how different people live, you know, yeah. and what, and what's, what are necessities in their life? You know, like I was kind of worried that you couldn't check footy scores or cricket scores or anything like that over there. And I'm like, imagine not caring about that. Cause if you don't, and then, I, then you go into the train of thought of going, well, if you don't know, you don't care. And I, I mean, I remember talking to a cab driver about that. Um, I got into a cab and he's like, oh, so what happened to your leg? And um, I was like, oh, I ran over a bomb, mate. And he's, he's just looked at me like, what? I said, yeah, I ran over a bomb. And like, you know, I, I like little joke with him. And he's like, oh, where? I'm like, oh, Afghanistan. He goes, oh, I'm from Afghanistan. And I thought, oh, here we go. And then he was talking about it and goes, do you know the main problem with Afghanistan? And I, I could, you know, I, I made the one mistake of kind of assuming where it was going because it was the best combo I've had. He's gone, um, like, because a lot of people, you know, the main, you know, the main problem with Afghanistan, and they go into this, thing that you know they, they've read a headline and didn't even re- didn't read anything else in the newspaper yeah and just flick the classifieds or whatever they do but um this guy just goes look the problem i think is the like essentially a passage of information and the, the communication you know so the basic basics of education you know the things that we take for granted like having the internet at our fingertips you know and we'd know the difference you know as as doing an example in high school you had to go to a library and read four books photocopy, cut and paste, do all these different things. These days you can Google it and it's there. Yeah. 100%. You know, like, and that passage of information, if you haven't got the internet, or you haven't got some of the things that we saw in the more remote areas, it's just start thinking, I wonder how... Phone. Like some yeah, of them, yeah, that's it. don't even have phones, especially in Uzgan. It's like the fucking... That's the backwash down there, man. Like the, most of those guys, they're, they're the equivalent of country bumpkins down there. They, they don't have that. And you're balling if you've got a phone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you you yeah, probably, you probably, you're probably on someone's radar if you've got a phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, like, we got to watch that, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But I mean that, and that's the, but that type of thing I, I really like while we're over there. But then you don't forget in between that, you know, like that's sort of at the back of the mind thought, you know, because yeah, you don't. Yeah, forget what you're there I'm going to try and balance all the rest of the stuff that's happening with, with this little romantic thought in the back of my head, so that I stay sane. Yeah, like yeah. I, remember, I remember like a, a dude falling it like he got out the back where right? it was a night job and we're all wearing night vision and he got out the back of a bushmaster and they'd pulled it over a little bit on this sort of road we're driving through a, a little village he stepped out and like his legs he stepped he had to reverse out one of his feet hit ground and there was kind of like a pothole that was full of water because yeah. we got and this is weird too we got the most rain that they'd had in like recorded rain in 20 something years yeah right in the space of uh seven days and that was our first seven days out but like he he stepped across so i've looked and he's like coming out and like oh there's yeah, yeah. oh man and he, <laughs> he just right his left foot just was searching for ground and found nothing like <laughs> he's fallen splash into this like puddle water every everyone's trying to be quiet like there's night vision, no one's yeah, yeah. no one's doing anything. You give him little, just like, like and yeah, and then you see this splash, and you hear clanging and stuff like that, and you're trying to get back up and splashing out in this water. You know, like, if they didn't know where we are, they fucking do now, don't they? And then you think about it, you're like, I'm pretty sure they would have heard the motor. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's a motor in all the cars that we're in, and we're concerned about that. But there's there's another one, like little bits, like noise discipline in the jungle. Yeah, it's a huge thing because you can be right next to your enemy and nearly not know it. One hundred percent because you can't see them. Yeah, whereas when you're out in the desert, like if you're 
you're 500 meters from the nearest hill and you don't even know if anyone's on it. Yeah. You can like, you can rustle like a chip packet and you're cool. But like then it's, and it's strange because the whole time when you're training, you're really focused on that. Yeah. You know? But then um, like, and that we had, we had a couple of different things with like the car. We had a, a gearbox, a tail shaft. I snapped the tail shaft somehow in mine um, a weekend. We had to replace it outfield. So we had to drop a full gearbox out into a hole that we dug in the ground, um, put the new tail shaft in, the new gearbox up, and I ended up snapping that one as well, um, which upset a good friend of mine um, to the point where he yelled at me. <laughs> I think I, I like sort of yelled back, but I remember the first, the first time we were ever in contact, it was almost surreal. Yeah. You know, like everyone, we pulled into like a vehicle, vehicle harbour basically like an all around protection type of type equation. And I jagged the first picket, which I thought was awesome because we were driving forever to get there. Yeah. We were on the road for nearly two days straight and that's crawling consistently because we were sweeping the entire thing. Then found a spot that we were harboring up and I jagged the first picket. So I'm like, we're here for like 10 hours. Apparently I'm going to get to sleep like six or seven is fantastic. This is great. Yeah, so I, I went out. I went out to pick it. I'm cruising out my stuff, and I'm just sitting on. I'm sitting on the, the the seat thing or whatever it is. It's sitting out there. Everyone, meanwhile, is getting their stuff sorted. You know, you're making sure that nothing's rusted in your weapon. Doing all the stuff. Professional checks you got to. It's good because I, I know what's going. I know what's going to happen as well. <laughs> yeah, and I like. I remember looking down in the like in the valley. So there was this huge valley in the green belt, and like it was a good man. It was a fair way. Like it was six hundred. 800 meters from us, something, something like that. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell. I can vaguely remember what it looks like, but we didn't get like a, a laser onto it. Yeah. And I just hear this, like, I wonder what that was. And then look, and then there's a little like circular cloud that's starting to form. And I'm like, that's interesting. And then I hear another, a little bit closer. I'm like, why there? Where are out? I'm like, and at that stage, I didn't know where our mortars were. So yeah, I yeah. thought that our mortars had, had found the target and were popping at something, but I hadn't heard it. I hadn't heard anything through my earpiece. So I remember turning around and the same guy yelled at me about the tail shaft and going, why are our mortars firing? What's happening here? He's going, what do you mean mortars firing? I said, well, I didn't hear where the, sh the shot came, but like you can see the splash. Look, it's down there. Right at that stage, he's just looked and I watched his eyes just pop out of his head. And I'm like, oh boy, fuck. So I turn around and start like start jogging back to where, where my team was. They've called contact. So what I didn't realize was there were dudes basically firing mortars at us. <laughs> you were kidding. Like, yeah, they were slowly walking them onto our position. And like so so I heard it. I'm like, oh my okay. So I had to wake the kid up. He was out, he'd actually laid down. So I'm like, I kinda like went up really gentle to him and just go, Hey, we're getting mortared. You wanna wake up? Like kind of like that. His eyes nearly touched my face as he's opened his hand. Like, ah, okay. And then, but I was like, from there, this is the first time I was in any sort of contact. And it wasn't even a major one. They just fired a couple of mortars at us and missed by kilometers. Yeah. And so I was there and I was kneeling next to the car. Cause there's not too much you can do until you're told to move when you're getting mortared. Unless everyone moves. You're just like, yeah. well, it's going to take the it. The safest spot you can do is just, is just get as low as you can. Just and hope. Just hope. Just sit there and just go, please. Hope that one doesn't this. drop directly on top. Yeah, yeah, or anywhere near me. That was like the first taste of 
how it gets. We had a couple of really interesting ones on a, a few mountains and things like that that were, I think, more of a taste if how real it was going to get. But, like, it was raining the, the day before I got hit. We had, like, a patrol that we went out, and it creates, like, this quagmire when it gets wet. It got us. Like, it was, it was hard, hard work in the cars. Yeah. Really yeah. hard work. And then um, after that, an orders group got shot up. Like, they were doing the mud model thing. Like, you know, where you give people instructions and that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Doing and, any planning um, and stuff like that. Yeah. I, remember, I remember looking in there because we were getting some stuff ready and looking in. And there was, like, a leadership group of 10 to 12 people all standing around. They fired a big burst in there. Missed yeah, right. everyone. Like, literally missed everyone. Like, all you could see was the dust fairy. Oh, it was, it was kind of more dirt because it had been wet. But yeah. splashing up from round people. You just like, whoa, when you heard where it come from. And then, they, so they laid down fire to suppress what was firing at us. But I was, just, I was just blown away by the fact it missed the leadership group. And my team commander, he was a proper hard ass, like really green army hard ass, like Townsville, Townsville done high range a thousand times. And then yeah. dream was always to BSF. Like he literally came out of his mother with campaign on his face. <laughs> He's like that type of guy. And he came back and I remember seeing him and he was green. Yeah. Like he was literally great. It was that close to hitting. Yeah. I can imagine yeah. and him. Like it just, a yeah, it was crazy. I'm like, shit. Okay. And you so don't know that- what, kind of like passing my water. Yeah. You kind of want to go, Oh, I've got to He's my team commander. I'm glad he didn't get hit, but I'd never seen him worried about anything before. Yeah, yeah. Now, literally, I thought if someone was firing at him, he would just walk straight at the dude type thing. But then, and it was, I think from what I've been told, because I don't remember now, we just got the, we were just about to get the orders for the job we were doing that night. So as, is that night the night or is that the next night? The, the no, night? I think it, it's either that, that night or the next night. I can't really remember. It was 3rd of April anyway, but yeah, in 2009. So I know you don't, you don't have obviously the, the memories of, oh, you've got some, but not the entire memories of everything there, but yeah. Can you tell me? So I've got like, yeah, this, can you tell us exactly what happened to them. So yeah. I've got like a collection of stories that I've pieced together. So we got our group of orders. Like scrapbook. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. And now I can just cherry pick the best bits. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, so we did, we're basically doing a job where uh, we were moving into an overwatch position with snipers, which for anyone who's not in the army an overwatch position basically means a fire support position where you can support the other platoon that's going in to do a job. We had isolated uh, two compounds that they were doing a, um, a direct action task in. So they're kicking doors in. And, um, but if, if needed, we could basically move down the mountain that we we're on to support them. Act as a quick reaction force. Yeah, as a, yeah, effectively a QRF. As we're moving up into that position, the other platoon had already dismounted. They were walking on the target. And the snipers were in their position and we were moving in behind them to flank around them. I, said, I think I was a fifth car in our lineup and um, my car hit an IED. And it, we didn't have anyone sweeping up that hill. One, because it's extremely laborious. Two, it was mildly time sensitive. And three, we had to get guys on the target. So they, and, you know, we needed all the resources possible to get them there, which is still, it's the, it's the right call. You know I mean? Regardless of what happened, it's the right call. And, um, my car hit an IED. Uh, my right leg was just taken off. My left leg was was proper buckled. Right elbow was hanging out. Right arm broken. Right hand broken in two places. Left arm was broken, facing the wrong way. My nose was shattered. 
it's a couple of other little cuts and little scratches and stuff, but nothing, nothing too major. But um, <laughs> from there, I was in a bit of a, like, as in it could really touch and go. Um, I was lucky because the heat from the explosion apparently seared my femoral artery shut. No, I didn't know that. No shit. Uh, yeah, apparently. So I, was, I was literally just about to say to you when, you when you said you were in a bit of trouble, I said, fuck, man, you got to be bleeding out at that yeah, point. It was, there was a lot of blood. Like, well, both arm, uh, my left arm wasn't bleeding, but it was buckled really bad. And the x-ray looks amazing. Like the right arm butt was an open, it was a compound fracture. So an open fracture. And it was bleeding pretty heavily. My nose was shattered that badly. It was just blood everywhere. My lip and mouth were just bleeding all over the shop. Both legs, like both of them were oozing blood everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was pretty crazy. Luckily, nothing in my stomach or any vital organs or my spine. It was all intact. Yeah. I'm not sure about my neck. I don't think so. Looking at x-rays, like it still grinds a little bit when I turn my head. But looking at x-rays, I don't think that there was spinal damage. Yeah. Uh, nothing too major. Uh, so the boys on the ground there and... Um, I guess we'll mention Scotty Palmer now because he he's one of the boys that, that yeah. was first, first to you and, and helped you out and, and essentially saved your life. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just do a short segue here. One of the reasons or the next guest that we have coming up um, in the next podcast is Pete Rudland. And Pete was also a Special Forces, uh, both SASR and two commando soldier and um he was involved in a helicopter crash in later in 2009 i think it was it could have been early 2010 actually um and scotty palmer actually passed away in that in that crash uh, in that accident and lost his life he was one of seven soldiers that lost their life in that crash and and so this is a great time to kind of embrace the the brotherhood that the special forces have to really, you know, to think about that on this day, Scotty would had saved Damo's life, and then in less than six months later, unfortunately, he was killed. No, just over six. In a in a sorry, was that sorry? He's just over six. Yeah, just over six. He was killed in a um in a helicopter crash. So tell us a little bit about the work that not just him, but the boys around you did on you to, I guess, pull you through that. When it happened, there was like there's specifics that that happen whenever an incident like that happens there's a um uh, i forget what the act the signal the signaler has to do like you've got a sig that's attached to your troop and he's the guy who operates all your radios and technology and stuff um or him and another guy who does the computer style stuff but the sig had already sent away the the contact report so they could get someone in for an evac as quick as possible uh the two guys that were in the car with me were both out cold uh, so was I apparently, I'm not sure. And people jumped onto the scene. So one of the vehicles like the, that Scotty was in was with the leadership team. He jumped out and ran sort of over onto the scene. Uh, the team in front of us, uh, he was in the vehicle two in front. Our other vehicle held where it was. The car behind us sort of slowly got out and then we're sort of working on how they were going to move up and do stuff. He got apparently, and I don't really know the exact things because everyone, it's a lot of adrenaline pumping, but um, I heard he was, he was part of the scene when it came to trying to stabilize what was there. So yeah. uh, I think the best, I've got like different takes of people from different spots and um. One of them, that kid who I was saying about, he was one of the first to work on me. And he had a blown out eardrum and a pretty bad concussion that knocked him out. Um, but he crawled up and started working on me. Not, yeah, and he was one of the boys. 
he was phasing out, like sort of moving people around and doing different stuff. And he said the most sickening sound that he's ever heard was one that I made. And he contracted in Iraq. He'd done a lot of stuff. Like, I don't know what the sound sounded like, but he said, man, I just thought this is shit. He's dying. Like, that's what it sounds like when you care about someone that's dying. And when he, he said that, but then he said it was followed by one of the funniest things he's heard. I'm like, oh, no, I could think was what could possibly be funny there. The kid had tourniqueted my nuts to my leg, and that was the sound. It was me screaming about that. Like, of all the shit that was going wrong, there's me going, because my nuts are tourniqueted to my leg. So he's announced to everyone, don't worry, he's still got his nuts. (laughs) Basically done done that, which, you know, and I mean, by that stage, I think they've gone to white light. I mean, for anyone who's not that military savvy, you'll try and restrict the amount of light that you use. You sort of restrict it to like green or red but if something's that crazy you'll hit white up you know what i mean but it does you, you turn the torch on on the side of a mountain you can see it from a long way away so you don't really exactly if you use red and, or green um sometimes people use blue but mainly red and green then you can you can probably stand two meters away from someone with a red light and you in, and if it's that dark you're probably not going to see yeah you struggle to see you struggle to see it whereas yeah. white light yeah exactly right you can yeah. see that from might as well be a fucking, fucking miles light. away the the bravery though of these guys because what a lot of people don't understand is that the tactics of the taliban are generally if they have an ied set in place they'll generally have a secondary somewhere um Mm. that there's a there's a high potential they'll have a secondary ied set somewhere so that they know when someone comes in to rescue you they're going to blow that and they're going to get you're going to get hit by it and then um and then they're going to obviously as well Exactly. And so when, when you were saying before about the guys, you know, coming in at a slower pace, it wasn't because they weren't worried about what had happened to you, Damon. It was, it was, they were worried about, is there a secondary attack here? Do we, one, one are we actually going to get shot at? You know, you could hear that they were going to, that was the thing like there, you can hear through earpieces because this is in the fifties. Um, we could hear <laughs> what they're doing, you know, like that they're, they're basically getting the force together to do it. So that still blows my mind. I mean, I was on the ground for 56 minutes and for part of it, the guy who... You're on the, you're on the ground for 56 minutes. Yeah. Holy so shit. Trying to die. And apparently as um, I, one of the guys who was initially holding me down, like he was holding my chest because I was trying to get up and run away. And mm. he said it was just sickening. The blood going everywhere. I've got two legs that aren't... One of them One of them that's sort of there, but he said it was just mongy. Um, one of them gone. And I'm, I was trying to punch him with two broken arms. And all I could hear was bones grinding in one of them. So I was trying to punch him to get him off and then... Because it felt like someone, I think, I'm, I'm assuming, because I don't know I was out, but I'm assuming it felt like someone had mounted me. I don't yeah. know if I was familiar with MMA, but it must have felt like someone had done that. So I was like, I've got to at least do something from the bottom. You know, I couldn't grab 100%. him. So I just tried yeah. to punch apparently. And, and the I, shock that you would have been in at the time, your body would have been kind of going through. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. People say that I was still, like, it got, it took a while, but I was sort of talking and asking questions in between screaming and whatever didn't you make a joke or did someone make a joke about someone you? made a joke yeah scotty had so yeah because like uh, tones was doing work and he worked like really hard because they had to one of the things that i've noticed about great teams and great teamwork is the fact that you know i mean everything's sort of being done for the good of the team one of them one of the i think the best aspect of teamwork is just the fact that at some stage everyone's going to drop the ball no matter who you are what profession you're in it's going to happen um, so accepting that and moving forwards one. The other one is, is knowing what uh, your effectiveness is to a situation, you know, being able to objectively look at what you're bringing a situation. So, cause everyone wants to 
save the person next to them's life. You know, you do, you want to do everything, but there is a period of time where you get tired enough or you've just done, you, like your mind, you're on tilt the whole time. Yeah. Like where someone else may be more effective at what you're doing. Yeah. So it's time to step back. So there was that sort of process with everyone. And they said it, I remember them talking about they were carrying a, um, one of our soldiers we lost, they were carrying him back and people didn't want to get off the stretcher because everyone wanted to honor the guy. Yeah, I've heard that. People Story were going well. down, but like people were literally going down out from exhaustion. Yeah. You're like, dude, step your pride aside. Let's get done what we have to. And then especially yeah. if you look into, I guess, the mindset of the people that were working on you at the time, like you're saying that one of the guys, was it Turnsy saying that? that yeah. It's hard done, to then step back. Work on you. He's, he's not only doing work on you, he's got to obviously stem your vital organs and your vital to stop the blood from flowing but he's also got a weapon next to him he's also got to look at his six and make sure that he's not going to get shot at he's also worried about fuck is someone going to pop over this hill over here and and take a watch generally you've got enough faith in everyone else because everyone else is like like wildly talented you kind of then you can kind of do that but it's more the intense focus that you have to have Mm. to what to do what he was doing just burn now he's got to be zeroed in and just sort of tunnel vision into this knowing that if he makes a wrong move and even if he doesn't it's going to live with him you know so if he if he, if he lost me there if they lost me for any reason he, he could have done every single thing possible to save me and just not have done it but would he you know he wants to give himself the best chance of success so you're always focused on it just zeroed yeah you know like and i think he was doing that but i kept wanting to lift my head to run away and apparently i don't know whether i was trying to convince him of that because i've been known to try and talk my way out of shit i don't know what i was doing but i kept trying to like run away or whatever which is amazing because i didn't have legs but i remember asking scotty about it because some wasn't working and he was holding my head down to that that point right so my helmet was all busted up and my night vision thing was bent and he was just holding my head down but they this story goes i looked up at him and just said scotty scotty all right have I got my legs? Because I thought, well, he'll he'll tell me. He just like he looked at me, and turned said he made eye contact with him, and just goes, "Yeah, yeah, man, they're just down there." And like looked down the hill. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't I don't think I picked up on it, but I was too busy laughing at the fact that he actually said it. But turn said that was when he heard me screaming. It was relief that my balls were done. Yeah. Uh, that it was just my balls that were attached to my leg which I must say is still a relief to me now. But he was, he, the only time he smiled through the whole thing was when Scotty said that. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think that's one of, the, one of the cool things about when you do it, you go through a huge amount of adversity with a group of people. You notice that hard times get made easier by being able to see the, the light in a dark place, if you know what I mean. You know, like yeah, being yeah. able to have that step back. Because that, it's a pretty heavy question. There's a guy who's looking down at half a person. Mm. who's been ripped apart who's literally just saying man do i still have my legs how do you say fucking no man you don't you know like but then how do you have the resolve to just like oh yeah man they're just down the hill <laughs> like, like do that way you're like man of, of all that, of that black life. almost that, that black humor that yeah. you have it's just the best black humor ever you just won and then so yeah they got me under the um under the under the chopper and this is a big one for me because I, I was talking to that guy he was doing it tough a while back and we we ended up losing him to suicide last year, which is tough, um, especially because he's this is a big part of the reason why I'm here. Um, yeah. So when when and he wanted to have a combo about it, 
I was like, yeah, yeah, let's go down, let's chat. Because I, I didn't ask anyone about it. Mm. I just let people come to me because I don't want to have to relive something that's that horrific. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And he came and goes, like, we were down eating, like, and this is pretty much it, we're at the pavilion in Coogee, and I had, we had this pizza that's dead set, got, like, reaper oil on it or something. It was the hottest thing ever. But both of us just sat there sweating, neither of us giving an inch. Uh, we were just going, no, we're still eating. Man. But yeah, yeah, that's it. Come on, here we go. <laughs> and then I remember he was, we were talking about stuff and he went over everything that he saw from his angle and what his perspective was like. He goes, look, Sykes told me it's good to speak about this. Do you mind? And I said, man, I've been waiting for ages. I just haven't wanted to ask anyone. Yeah. You know, I don't want that. And I used to, I used to always wake up, like if I was laying on my stomach, you know, you kind of put your arms in front of you to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of curl up. When I used to do that, I'd wake up and I still wake up in the night sweating. No matter how cold it is, I'll still manage to somehow wake up with no sheets. I'm in a sweat. It's weird. But I, for years, I'd wake up with my arms underneath me and couldn't just, for some reason, couldn't handle it. But there was nothing before it. Like there wasn't a nightmare I'd wake up from. There was nothing that would trigger this thing. And it wasn't until we were sitting down there and he's gone, I've gone, man, that, like he told me the whole story and it's like, dude, that's just, Shit, man. Like, well, thank you. I, like, you don't, it's hard to, you don't know what to say to someone. You're like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm sorry for ruining your life because you probably, you know, you have, you've seen it every single night for the rest of your life. You're kind of like, well, God, what do I do? And then he sort of said to me, he just goes, man, the, the hardest bit of the whole process, I said, what's that? When they were putting me under the chopper, I had, I was strapped to this stretcher, but both of my arms were hanging off it. And the, the Lodi came out and said, and they said it to, I don't know if they said it to him or someone else on the show. They said, look, his arms have to be strapped to him for him to be able to get on. You know, they've got restrictions with everything they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My arm has had to be strapped to me. And he's just looked like both arms were broken really badly. Like there's bones hanging out one. And he's like, fuck man, really? He's gone, yeah. So he walked out. He just said he put his hand on my chest and I was still like, not loose, it was a bit doughy. I'm, I'm not sure. He didn't say what I was like, but put his hand on my chest and then I had to fold two broken arms across my chest and then strap them down. And like I, I screamed like an absolute mess. Through it. He Just said, yeah, he said, that's like, that's probably the most haunting thing. But at that stage, he just looked at two broken arms and elbow hanging out, blood everywhere, all the blood that was on him. You know, and they just thought, this is the last time I'm going to see him. So he said he tapped me and said goodbye. You know, I was like, that, that man, that was like hectic just to, to hear that. But on the same hand, it was a bit of a relief because it meant that the whole thing was real. Yeah. Like of all the things on that night, the only thing that made sense was the fact that for six, or seven years after it, I'd woken up like freaking out when my arms were like underneath me in a position that used to be like a really curled up in a ball position. Yeah. It was now horrific for some reason. I never knew why. And then, you know, I slept well that night. I was kind of like, wow, okay, it's real. It actually happened. Yeah. But I mean, and that's sort of the, then you have some context between next time it does happen. You're like, now I know why. But it was one of those things that it's so surreal. Cause my last memory is me doing stuff as a normal person and just wake up in hospital, like first come to, you don't really come to because you're that out of it. Mm. You know what I mean, you sort of phase in and phase out and phase in and phase out. 
type thing. And you're in hospital with half your body ripped apart. Wow. Every time I hear Damo's story, I'm just left speechless. He is an incredible human being. And in the next episode, we're going to delve into how he actually recovered from his injuries and how he went on to achieve some absolutely incredible things and to be the person that he is today. I'm so happy that I know him. I'm so blessed that he is a close mate of mine and I call him a brother and I can't wait to get stuck into this next episode to you. So tune in next week for the moment. Get out there, comment, share this with your friends, follow our social media pages, give us a review on iTunes. They count so much. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.